All right. Let's do this thing. Okay, so we're going to be talking about uh, 1 Samuel today. And it's, um, it's, it's an amazing book. I say that every Sunday, I know. But this, one's, this one is unique in that um, it is a, it's, a, it's a pivotal point. It's a transition point. Um, the book is, is, is written about Samuel Right, you know, and a lot of it was probably even written down by Samuel. Some people think that that Ruth was possibly written down by Samuel. We don't we don't entirely know. But what's important about Samuel is that he is he's the the uh, transition from the judges into um, into the, the kingdom, into the monarchy. And so he, Samuel himself is unique in that he is the last judge and he's the first prophet. Because when we move into the monarchy, there is the king, and then there's the prophet. And they, they have to go together. And you'll see this as we look into this message. And so, so Samuel is a unique character in that he is, uh, he's, kinda, he's living in two worlds. He's the transition point from being both like, a, like one of the judges and then moving into being a prophet. And so he plays both roles. You see him lead like a leader, like a judge, but you also see him guide and hear God's voice like a prophet. So he's unique. And then, um, and then the other thing, the really cool part about 1 Samuel is that it talks about three callings, three very important commissions um, that, that changed the world. That changed our lives. If it wasn't for these three possible commissions or callings, we probably wouldn't even be sitting here today. We could probably say that for every character, but this is unique because it happens in First Samuel. And there's three of them. First of all, there's Samuel who gets a calling from God, and then there's Saul. He is the first anointed king, and if you've been following along, he is not the first king because in Judges there was uh, somebody that decided to crown himself king, and. You know, Israel's, Israelites being the people that they were, they decided to follow him for a season. But Saul is the first anointed king where the Holy Spirit descends on him and he's filled with the Spirit and he prophesies. And then, of course, King David is commissioned in 1 Samuel as well. And David is a unique character in that uh, he, he has the most ancient literature written about him than any other character in the Bible. Do you know that? He is, there's more literature written about David than any other ancient text in the world. Isn't that cool? They're not going to teach you that in the world religions class. So there, there's, he's an amazing character, as we're going to see. And you know, the, you know the Sunday school stories about David. He's, just, he's, just, he's incredible. Okay, so... Um, uh, the, the story starts off with a typical motif, some, a motif that we've seen before, where um, this is not, God does not approve of this, by the way, but it just, it just happens. It was this ancient culture, but nowhere in the Bible does God say it's okay or preferable. But there's, a, there's a, an, an individual, a worshiper named Elkanah, and he's got two wives, uh, uh, Hannah and Penina. And it's the, it's the typical theme where uh, Elkanah, the one that he loves, is barren, and she cannot have children. Does this sound familiar? We've hit this motif already several times. And, and who does Elkanah love? Elkanah loves Hannah. And Hannah is, uh, and she does something 
that we need to pay attention to. She calls on the Lord in her time of need. And God blesses her. God blesses her decision to worship, her decision to sacrifice, uh, and her, her, her heart for the Lord, okay? And so what happens is that, that she gets pregnant with our hero, Samuel. And as her response to God blessing her with a child is that, you ready for this? She is going to give him to the tabernacle. They don't have a temple yet. They've got that portable tent shrine that uh, it's, it's now in Shiloh. Went to Bethel. Remember the tent shrine? It's got the Ark of the Covenant and the menorah and the gold table and all this really cool stuff. Well, now it's, like it's probably getting old and faded, and now it's in Shiloh. And so that is where, that's where they're supposed to go and worship. The Ark of the Covenant is there. And, uh, and she gives her son, Samuel, which it translates as uh, God Speaks, she gives her child to the tabernacle. She gives it to the Lord. She completely dedicates it. And by the time this child is weaned, uh, she gives him to the high priest, Eli. So if you're having problems with your kids, <laughs> do not drop them off here. I will not raise your child. I'm having a hard time raising my own right now. But that's what, that's what he does. And, and Eli, the high priest, takes this child and he raises him. And, and the Bible says, Samuel says, is that he, uh, he grew up in the presence of the Lord. And that had probably everything to do with his character. So he grew up in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. And where does God reside? Where does the presence of God reside? You got class, do you remember? It resides on the mercy seat and the, between the angel wings, the cherub wings, the very millimeter of, of space, the negative space. God resides inside of that negative space. And so this is what this baby grew up around. Was he trained and was he mentored by Eli to a certain extent? But it, I don't have a whole lot of time to get into it. But Eli wasn't necessarily a man of character. He knew the Lord. He could actually hear the Lord's voice. Because you remember from Sunday school, uh, Samuel is, is sleeping in the presence of the Lord. He's sleeping probably near the, the Ark of the Covenant, which might be... Could you imagine if you're a sleepwalker and you're sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant? What happens if you touch the Ark of the Covenant? There are big problems. <laughs> you get zapped. So, um, but Eli was able to, Eli could hear the voice of the Lord. And Eli was open to correction. He was just a man of, of, uh, uh, honestly, of flesh. There's little clues in there. You can tell that he was a man that was given over to flesh. The clue is, is that he was fat. How did he get fat? Because a guy liked barbecue, he taught his sons. He says, you know what, boys? If you want, because people would bring the sacrifice into the temple, and that's what the priest would eat. And it was supposed to be boiled. But who wants to, you want to eat boiled filet mignon? Like, it's only good if it's fa, right? Does that just go over your head right there? Okay, I'm sorry. But it's not good. It's better if you barbecue it. 
And so they got, so Eli taught his sons. He says, you know what, sons, I know that this priest thing, it's kind of boring, but let me tell you the perks of it. If you barbecue this stuff, it tastes a lot better than the boiled stuff. And so they got fat. His sons, uh, uh, what's his name? Phinehas and uh, who's the other guy? I forgot his name. Phinehas and who? Anyway, they, they, uh, not only did they bypass the boiling of the fat, because we know what tastes good, right? It's the fat that tastes good. So that was supposed to be boiled off. But not only did they, they, they bypass the boiling of the fat, they, um, uh, they, they started shaking people down. They started, they started taking money from the, from the worshipers, from the people that came to give their sacrifice. And to make matters worse, so they had ushers there too. They had lady ushers. And so Phinehas and his brother decided to start sleeping with the, with the church ladies. <laughs> so I was like, we've got major problems here, right? Okay. Hannah, her response after she is blessed with this child. This is very great. This is Hannah's prophetic prayer, chapter 2. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. Okay, pay attention to that. My mouth boasts over my enemies, and I delight in your deliverance. Pay attention to that. There is no one holy like the Lord. Verse 3. Do not keep talking so proudly. Pay attention to that. These are themes that we need to... This is, what, this is what God's trying to teach us today. These specific words from Hannah's prayer. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends, this is not fun. The Lord sends poverty and the Lord sends wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. Can I get an amen? He raises the poor from the dust. And he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes. And he has them inherit a throne of honor. And the end of it, verse 10. This is the special part. He will give strength to his king. And exalt the horn of his anointed. Okay, so this is the prayer. This is, this is a prophetic prayer. All kinds of little clues in here. What's going to happen, how things are going to unfold, and how we should live our lives. This is a book about being commissioned, and there's three people that get commissioned. There's Samuel, who does it right. There's Saul, who starts off right. And he is God's chosen, by the way. He is God's anointed. And then there is David. Starts off right. Makes a lot of bad decisions. Yet there's something about him. There's a condition of David's heart that moves him into grace and into a New Testament revelation. And we need to get this. Because each 
in every one of you. You are, you are and have been called. If you haven't, you will be. You will have, you will have an encounter if you have not had one already where the Lord will wake you up in the middle of the night and he will speak directly to you. Or will you have an experience so intense that it's either God or you're going nuts? Or where, where God will, he will touch your physical body, where you will be healed in a way that's like, oh my gosh, that was a miracle. I'm going to dedicate my life to the Lord. Every one of us has this opportunity. Every one of us has this experience. And it's how we respond to it is what's important. How we respond to it is what's important. Okay, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this because my announcement was, I tell you to tell people, don't do, your announcements are too long. I'm sorry for my long announcement. Um, okay. It is the end of the judges. And Samuel does an amazing job. He rises up into leadership. He, def- oh, oh, there's new bad guys. You want to hear about the cool new bad guys? I'm going to introduce you to the Philistines. Um, ancient sources are a little confused on exactly who they are. Sometimes they're referred to as the Sea Peoples. I believe, and I'm sorry for geeking out on you. I also believe that they're maybe part of the, the, the Phoenicians. But basically, they're basically the sailors in the Mediterranean. And they were, well, of course, they were horrible, nasty people, but they're also kind of cool, too. They are basically, they're, they're Vikings. They have, they have boats, and they go around, and they, they loot, and they raid, and they pillage, and they're, they're awful people, but they are, they're like Vikings. They're like, this is why we make the Capital One commercials, because we like these guys, because they're just, you know, they're like pirates, right? They annoyed the, the Egyptian empires to no end. They were, they, were, they were so annoying to them. They actually broke the empire, much like the Vikings broke the European empires, and so they were just, this is the type of people. They were just like, raw. They, you know, they, they scared everybody half to death. You know? And when you tried to get them, they'd get in their boats and take off. It's just, they're just so annoying. All right, so these are the new bad guys. And, and again, I, of course they're evil, but they're kind of cool too. All right, so, um, so this is, the, the Canaanites have kind of been subdued a little bit. And so there's an introduction to this, the new villains, the arch enemy of Israel. And... Um, and Samuel does an incredible job of fending them off. But something happens with, with, uh, with the brothers. They're like, oh my gosh, here's these new bad guys. We need, they, Israel gets whooped. They, the armies go and they engage them and they get whooped. And like, oh my gosh, what, what's going on here? God has abandoned us. And uh, maybe it was Eli. Maybe it was his sons, the priests. They say, well, we have an idea. Remember that gold box that we have where God sits in the middle of it? Let's take that into battle with us. And they do. So the next engagement they have with these, these, these Vikings of the ancient world is they take the Ark of the Covenant into battle and they think that that's going to work. No one bothers praying, by the way. If you pay attention to the text, no one asks God to show up. They just think, you know what? We're going to take our trophy in with us. We're going to take our gadget. We're going to take our technology. 
And as they, 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 they dust off the Ark of the Covenant, and they're very careful that they don't touch it so they don't get zapped, they, they march it into the camp of the Israelites, and everybody gets excited because everybody's kind of down in the dumps Every, because they just got whooped. You ever been beaten? It doesn't feel good. And this rallies them because, oh my gosh, we got some technology. We got the toy. We got the gold box. God is there. And the whole camp gets really excited. And the Philistines hear you know, maybe a few miles away over the hill, you know, their, their, their army is camped out and they hear the Israelites rallying and they hear them getting excited and they go, oh my gosh, they have called upon their gods. Of course, the Philistines don't quite understand the concept of monotheism yet, but they say, oh my gosh, they've called upon their gods. There is a God in the Israelite camp. What are we going to do? They are going to beat us. So they, the, the Philistines kind of do what we do whenever we come up against something hard. They get, they get um, this little, this instance of fear. Now, this is why they're so cool, in my opinion. Because somebody rallies them. Somebody says, oh, you Philistines, suck it up. Man up. I know, and then it says this, I know that these are the gods that defeated the, the Egyptians. We defeated the Egyptians too, by the way. I know that these are the gods that split the Red Sea. Who cares? And this is why I, this is why I have some type of an admiration of them. They said, man up. We can take them, and we can take their gods too. You know why this is interesting? It's because they didn't call on Dagon. Usually when the god is brought into your camp, when the enemy, when the enemy you know, calls upon their god, then what do you do? You call upon their god. Well, the Philistines didn't. The Philistines said, we don't need no stinking gods. We can defeat them by ourselves. This is a very interesting psychological human uh, response. This is what Greek mythology is all about too. It's all about man against the gods. The Philistines were the first to do it. Um, The Philistines and the Phoenicians, the sea peoples, were the forerunners of the Greeks of Hellenistic culture. Interesting, huh? So this, this attitude like, we, don't, we, we are men. We can, we can defeat them on, within our own power and within our own ability. It is pride. It is the epitome of human pride that says, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. And guess what? They did. <laughs> they whooped them. They completely routed the Israelites. They, they brought their, the Israelites brought their magic gold box into war, and they got, the Israelites got whooped. 30,000 of them get wiped out. They're completely decimated. They're completely broken. And what makes matters worse, get this, the Philistines stole the box. They stole the Ark of the Covenant. They, they stole God. God, is, God sits between the angel wings, and now the Vikings have it. Like, what's in your wallet, Israelites? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. And the report gets back to Eli. Um, Samuel's probably still too young to be a leader. He's still a little boy. The report gets back to Eli. That, oh, we got some bad news. We lost the war. And he's Eli's like, oh, no, it gets worse. <laughs> Your two sons have died. Oh, 
it gets worse. They took the ark. And it's at that point that fat old Eli falls out of his chair and breaks his neck. It, was, it wasn't that his sons, his evil sons, the death of them, that's not what broke his heart. It's not what broke his neck. It's that he knows that he'd lost the presence of God. He lost that special something about God's presence. That's what broke his neck. And uh, Phinehas' um, wife, now widow, she's, she's about ready to have a child, and she's in childbirth, and she cries out to the Lord, what's going on, God? And she says this, your glory has left us. And she dies of grief, of being completely overwhelmed. And the whole nation is devastated because they lost the Ark of the Covenant. Completely demoralized. They're done. They want to give up. They want to quit. Now, the Philistines won the battle. They actually beat the Israelites, but they did not beat the Lord. They did not beat God at all. All right, you ready for this? You got your Bibles? Open your Bibles. You just want to just check something. I just want to check something. He knows what I'm going to go for. I just want to check something here. Um, men, what's what kind of one of our one of the big issues with guys is that we have this pride thing, right? It's very. It's easy for me to be humble because I'm so great and I'm an amazing pastor. So humility is not a problem for me whatsoever. It might be for you. But humility is just not an issue for me. And I thank God that I'm so humble. All right, that's the problem with guys. Um, we're all about that, right? So humility and pride is always our issue. It always will be, and we have to be able to check it before it wrecks us. Um, the Philistines were very prideful people because they could win wars without Dagon, without their god. That's cool. <laughs> but um, God will not be mocked. Wives, how hard is it for you to get your husband to go to the doctor? Right? Why don't they go to the doctor? It's because it's an issue of pride. There's nothing wrong with me. I know I have this giant abscess in my stomach, but there's nothing wrong with me. I don't feel a thing. It doesn't hurt. Right? I have a headache. Well, honey, maybe it's a tumor. It's not a tumor. I'm completely fine. Right? This is what, God, God, I mean, really, you have to be, honey, and this, my dad's the worst. Honey, Larry, your thumb is falling off. Just give me some duct tape, Janice, and be quiet. I got things to do. Seriously, I can't tell you how, how many times he's duct taped his fingers back on his body. This is the way you guys are. We just don't, and, and if you're a real man, you don't complain about stuff. Unless you have a hemorrhoid. <laughs> right? So, this is hilarious. This is, this is the funniest thing in the Bible, in my opinion. There's a lot of funny things in the Bible, but this is hilarious. So, the Philistines steal our gold box, and they're totally making fun of it. They totally have humiliated Israelite, and now they're going to humiliate their gods. And so they put the ark in their temple of Dagon. Dagon, by the way, has, um, he has flippers and a trident. Does that sound like somebody we know? 
It's Neptune. It's a forerunner of Neptune. Interesting, huh? Uh, anyway, um, and then you know, they, they show up in their temple the next day, and Dagon's statue has fallen over, and he's bowing before the Ark of the Covenant. They're like, oh, that's kind of weird. So they set him up, and then he does it again. He falls and shatters into pieces, and wow, he's, what's going on? It gets worse. These guys wake, they wake up with, your Bible might say tumors, but that's a bad translation. In the Hebrew, in the original language, it is hemorrhoids. And if you know men, it completely makes sense because if a man had a tumor, he would not be whining about it, especially a bunch of a tough Vikings. They're not going to whine about it. But you get, a, you get a hemorrhoid and you are going to be crying and you're going to be wanting your mommy and you want to crawl back up into your womb because that's like, have you ever witnessed a guy with one of these things? They're a bunch of babies. And that's what's going on. This is funny stuff. I don't care who you are. I, I think it's funny. Maybe he'll quit coming to our church, but this is this. I, I think that this is this is God's sense of humor, and so the whole and they're like, oh my, and they play hot potato with the Ark of the Covenant. So, and I think it was in it was in Gath, and so they let's, let's send it to Ekron, and then they send it over to Ekron. They get hemorrhoids. Oh my gosh, let's send it. To, you know, those are five major cities. And they send it all around. And everybody gets hemorrhoids, and then the, then the rats come in. They they infiltrate everything, and they're just like, God will not be mocked. He uses the humility of people to humble the proud. And that's what he does. I've got so much more to say, folks. I mean, let me get to Jesus real quick because I've got to skip so much stuff. But I just want you to see, what's the the problem? Pride, right? And here's the interesting thing about God. Um, God will definitely correct the pride of the unjust. But who else did he humble in this situation? He humbled the Israelites. The Philistines like, we don't want this gold box anymore. <laughs> this is miserable. And they put it on some they put it on a cart and they send it away and it ends up back into the hands of the Israelites and they don't send it back to Shiloh. They were not They did not respect God enough to send the ark back to the tabernacle. They didn't respect it enough to say, it's holy. Some clouds decide to open up the box. They took the lid of the, seat, the mercy seat off. Where, you, know, the, you, know, you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. They opened up the lid. Same thing happened to them. Seventy of them, their skin melted off. <laughs> Don't mess around with God's holy stuff. Don't, don't treat it so flippantly. Don't treat God's gifts so haphazardly. When you're called, you have to move yourself into a place of humility. And this is what Samuel does. Samuel becomes a humble leader. And he's a really good leader, too. He defeats the Philistines. He judges the nation he leads them into, I think it's 25 years of peace where they have no more enemies to deal with. And the Israelites come to him and they say, we need a king. I don't know if they heard Hannah's prayer, but they said, we want a king. And Samuel's ticked off. He's really frustrated because he's done such a good job. And he's like, why? it's not broken. Why, why do we want to fix it? This is evil. 
There's evil in your hearts for wanting a king. And they, their response to him was, you're old and your sons are evil. And he knew that they were right. And he went to God and he asked God, God, what do I do? He says, you need to listen to the people. He says, it is a wrong decision. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. With them wanting a king, they're actually rejecting me. That's what he says. So, Samuel, don't take it too hard. Samuel had a bit of a temper, and they anoint King Saul. He finds him. Saul's looking for donkeys. Samuel is not only a judge and a prophet, he is a seer. He is um, somebody you do turn to for guide and counsel. Saul lost his donkeys and gets anointed in the process. You ever lose something and find God? You ever lose your keys and get anointed? It's, a, it's in the little minutia. It's in the little details where we find God. And this is what happens. He finds God. He gets anointed. Power falls on him. He's able to prophesy. He's able to hear God. He's able to chant. It sounds like a New Age thing, but it's biblical. He channels the voice of God. If you're somebody... Saul, was, he was the perfect candidate. He was tall. He was good-looking. He was strong. He was, it looks like he had some money. He was perfect. He was the best that Israel had to offer. And he didn't have any background. He didn't go to seminary, but he's able to channel God's voice directly. But Saul stepped into his anointing through insecurity. He avoided the calling. When he was supposed to be anointed by Saul, he was hiding in the luggage. When his father asked him, where have you been looking for, you you went to go look for the donkeys. Where have you been this whole time? And instead of saying, there was a holy man that prophesied over me that I was going to be the king of Israel and that I was going to, that God was going to use me. So instead of him saying that, he was too ashamed of God and what God was doing. He says, well, I was looking for donkeys. He wouldn't tell him what God was doing. And his insecurity gets fleshed out even more. I need to get the band, the ushers come to the front. His insecurity gets fleshed out even more in that... Um, when Samuel does pass on, he gives his farewell speech. He goes to, into the presence of God. Um, instead of calling upon the Lord for help, for, he calls on a medium. Saul turns to witchcraft in order to get God's direction. Oh, I wish, I need to talk about this more. I just can't. But Saul, he ran out all the the necromancers, all the mediums, all the witches of the land. He ran them all out. For some reason, this one little old lady, you know, she she went under the grid. And he said, you know what? This lady, she could tell you, she can raise Samuel from the dead. She could raise his ghost from the dead. There's all kinds of opinions of whether this really happened or not. It almost seems like it did because when Samuel gets raised from the dead, when his ghost comes out of the ground, Samuel's ticked off. It's like, what are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> because you acted in this way, the kingdom is going to be taken from you. Instead of you acting in security, you have to have, you need to have your crystal ball worn so you're, you're confident that your next step, he didn't want to take steps in faith. He didn't, want to try, he didn't want to put his trust in God. He wanted to put his trust in something that he knew for sure. And we live our lives like that too. Oh, there was so much more I had to say. I'm so sorry. I talk too much and I never shut up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Again, we pray protection over us and over our church family. God, I pray that uh, we will 
respect, we will respond to our callings that you've given us, that we won't treat them with contempt. We won't treat God's presence with contempt. We will not treat God's gifts with contempt. And where we have felt let down by gifts or by people or even by you, where we have blamed you for our failures, God, we repent of that in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you will just forgive us of our areas of pride, and I pray that you'll forgive us of our areas of insecurities, and that we will move into putting our trust and our reliance in you. You're a good God and your, your red cord runs through history and into our lives, and we're so grateful for that. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. God bless you guys.